Welcome to An Amber A Day, the podcast all about functional nutrition for PCOS. I'm Amber Fisher, a certified nutrition specialist and licensed dietitian nutritionist, and I have training in functional medicine. I also have PCOS, and on this podcast, we discuss PCOS in depth, the nutrition strategies for it, as well as the realities of living with it and making this lifestyle work. For further guidance and meal plan support, you can check out the show notes for links to my PCOS courses and programs. And if this podcast helps you, please do me a favor and leave me a review. Thank you so much for being here. Let's get into today's episode. You're listening to an Amber a Day, the Functional Nutrition Podcast, and I'm Amber Fisher. I am a functional nutritionist in San Antonio, Texas, and I specialize in fertility and autoimmune disorders. And on this podcast, we talk about all that, plus my awesome life and other things that you might be interested in. So today, I'm psyched because I have my favorite client. No, I, can't. <laughs> I have... Um, the wonderful Carrie Haddock here with me, and we are going to be talking about her personal experience. So Carrie is actually a client of mine, and we've worked together now for going on six months, Mm -hmm. I guess, right? And uh, so we're going to get her kind of personal experience of going through some of this stuff. And her and I have a lot in common as far as our health histories go and some things that we've been through on our journey to try to advocate for ourselves. So that's a lot of what we want to talk about today. So Carrie, uh, tell us about you. Tell us about your life and sort of why you came to work with me to begin with. All right. So I am 29 years old. Um, I live in New York. So Amber and I actually work together virtually. So I found Amber because I was really not feeling well in the spring. And I was working from home, had like some more time on my hands and figured it might be a good time to look into some of my health stuff kind of from like a different perspective. Um, So I found Amber like randomly, someone posted about her in like a Facebook group I'm in um, (laughs) and I reached out to her and I don't know, we just clicked and it's like the best thing I ever did for myself. So, yeah, yeah. That's so nice. And it's been a very, you know, difficult experience because I've had to make a lot of, like, very difficult life changes and, you know, things that I never thought I would be changing. But it's been, like, one of the best things I've ever done. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we've had – Is I think it's funny how, like, people come into your life at Mm -hmm. the – Right. And it's so random that you and I found each other. Yes. Um, You found me um, because I, you're not the only person I've ever worked with in New York, but you're one of like two. And so it's very like I, most of my work is here in San Antonio, but you know, for those of you wondering, I do work virtually. Um, (laughs) So, uh, but yeah. And just like the fact that you found me through like a Facebook group, And then we ended up meeting and now we've had this like big major life transformation experience together. And it's Mm -hmm. been really awesome. So um, Carrie and I have really good deep talks because her and I have been through a lot of similar stuff. So um, Carrie, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, 
you, like what's going on with your health, I guess. Sure. Talk about that. So I guess I have to kind of think of like where to start. Um, because I feel like I, I wouldn't like five years ago, if you would ask me, I wouldn't have told you that I had health issues. Um, because I guess they didn't fit into like the kind of way in which I was viewing health issues. I was an like a, you know, individual that went to work and school and did all these things and was kind of able to like, look like, you know, any other 20 something. But looking back, I, I wasn't feeling great. Um, and I was like, kind of dealing with these chronic issues. And I wasn't really paying attention to them. Um, they just kind of became part of my life. And, and, you know, I just kept going. So I was diagnosed, I think it was December of 2018, like finally diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Um, that, I mean, diagnose, diagnosis was like a long time coming. I really had to push for it. Um, and when I was finally diagnosed, my antibodies were so high, like so, so high. Um, some of the highest the endocrinologist has ever seen. And, you know, all of the symptoms I had could be explained by that diagnosis. And it was just, it's just frustrating because if you like look back years before, you know, things had been going on. Um, so I was diagnosed with that and, and basically told it hasn't started impacting your thyroid functioning. So we're just going to kind of let it keep going until it impacts your thyroid functioning. And then we'll, we'll put you on Synthroid and it'll be fine. Um, and, you know, no, no talk about like symptoms or like long-term, you know, impact of autoimmunity. So I received that diagnosis and then I had a ultrasound like of my neck just to further confirm diagnosis. And when they did the ultrasound, they found a couple of nodules on my thyroid. That was in, I guess, January of 2019. And then on Valentine's Day, um, 2019, I had a biopsy of one of the nodules. That's weird because going into it, I knew that it was cancer. I just like had this weird feeling. Um, I, I just kind of knew that's what it was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I got the call from the doctor, I wasn't surprised and then on March 18th of 2019, I had a total thyroidectomy. So, and then it was, you know, later confirmed that it was cancer. Um, so they removed my thyroid. They removed a bunch of lymph nodes around there. And what is usually like a couple hour surgery went up being almost five hours because my thyroid was so inflamed that it became much more involved to remove it. And it was so inflamed from the Hashimoto's of years and years um, of that. So, you know, that was tough. And the, the surgery actually typically isn't that difficult for people to recover from. But I kind of suspect I had some kind of like autoimmune flare after. So I had a very tough time um, physically and emotionally you know, I didn't expect that, you know, feeling so tired and, and kind of having to make some changes to my schedule to recuperate would be so difficult. Um, I guess it kind of goes into things we'll we'll talk about coping with changes and, you know, changing your life. Um, 
but and then since then I've just kind of been coping with these autoimmune issues and you know dealing with a lot of joint pain and fatigue and you know just like different physical issues so that's what brought me to amber was just to really get down to the root of what's going on and really just decrease some of that inflammation yeah and and you've done an amazing job at like following through with what we you know we did testing and what we found from that and and the the plan and program that we've kind of put in place and I have to give you all the credit for like actually doing what I asked you to do, which is like sometimes <laughs> easier said than done. Right. But I thought one thing that you were, that you said was really interesting that you knew that it was cancer before you got the diagnosis. Um, because you know, my listeners know that I also have a history of cancer. I had endometrial cancer, so different kind of cancer, but I had a very similar experience where, um, I did know, um, I sort of always had this little inkling that like something was going to go wrong there. And I knew, um, you know, it, it didn't surprise me to get diagnosed with cancer, although it was surprising to my doctors. But boy, was it an effort to try to get them to listen to me and take me seriously. Um, so I think there's some powerful things to like get into with that, because number one, there's the element of um, intuition mm-hmm. and uh And you, regardless of your age, knowing something about yourself that an outside perspective of a doctor doesn't know. Um, Many of the clients that I work with are in their 20s. Um, I work with a lot of young people. And it's super common to have this experience of knowing something's wrong with you and trying to find answers and having doors just like slammed in your face a lot. So, um, how many, you went around to like several different doctors, didn't you, to try to get diagnosed or? Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we are the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. Yeah, I, I kind of, I've lost count at this point. Um, <laughs> so, and, you know, for a while I was and, and I'm still in grad school, so I didn't have the best insurance. So I was kind of struggling to find, you know, really thorough doctors as it was, which is such a shame. Um but even when I had really great insurance and, and was going to really great, you know, practitioners, they were doing like a simple panel of blood work. And when things looked like fine, and that's like right. within the normal range, like whatever that is, right. um, you know, they were saying I was fine, but it still wasn't matching up with the symptoms. Right. And it, it just wasn't. And it also wasn't matching up. Like when I would sit at a table with friends And, you know, I would talk about like how I was kind of juggling things while having these health issues. Like they were looking at me like, what are you talking about? 
you know, like we're 25 years old, we can, you know, just go out and we don't have to worry about these things. Like other people were not experiencing this. Yes. Right. And I just feel like, you know, I was no one that I knew was experiencing this. No one was really understanding it. And then I would go to a doctor and have to like beg them to take me seriously. Yes. And I felt like I would always come across as like being a very like anxious and over like educated female. Yeah, you get this, this, most of the doctors that I experienced, they wanted to wave off my like research. And of course, you know, I wasn't a doctor, still mm-hmm. not a doctor. Um, so there's obviously a respect to be had for someone in that profession. But when it's a health problem that's affecting you and affecting your body, um, you t- especially as a young person, like you tend to really uh, want to find answers. And so you do a lot of research on your own. Some of that research, you know, like I look back at some of the things that I, I thought and and that I like, came up with on Google back then. And I'm like, OK, you know, that wasn't you know, I didn't have that quite right. But there was still this element of like searching and digging deeper and trying to find somebody who would validate that. Um, And you just go to doctors and get told like, um, at least for me, it was like, well, you just just get on birth control and like, Mm -hmm. fine, and it's no big deal. And um, when you're ready to have kids, you know, it might be a problem. It's probably not, but it might be a problem. But you might have to do fertility treatments. We'll just worry about that then. And I'm sitting there thinking like, something else is wrong, though. It's not just this like, potential future fertility issue. For me, it's like there's an actual problem right now with my body that I know that something's not right. And I had that, that intuition. And so I feel like um, part of that was, like you said, that when you come prepared for an appointment, sometimes it throws them off, mm-hmm. you know, throws them off, especially if you're going to like, um, like for me, I was going to just a regular OBGYN and they're used to dealing with like pregnancies and uh, PAPs, you know, they're not like there to talk to you about like endometrial cancer or PCOS or any of that stuff. Um, And so I don't know if they aren't as knowledgeable, I guess sometimes they probably aren't, or they're just unprepared to talk about it. But you sort of get like labeled almost like difficult, you know, especially as a woman, um, there's definitely an element of sexism with that too. Like I got a lot of like, you know, placating comments from people because I think when you're worried about yourself, you come across in this way that, uh, like no one takes you seriously. Yes. And I mean, there's very well established research on the difference in healthcare and treatment that men and women get. Oh, yeah. I mean, it takes years sometimes for women to be diagnosed that men would be, you know, diagnosed much, much sooner with the same issues. Um, And it's I mean, autoimmunity is is tough and fertility issues because there's not, you know, well understood as it is by the medical community. So I think with the things that we've had, you know, come up, doctors don't really understand them to begin with. 
then mm-hmm. when you take this patient who's questioning everything that they're doing and researching, I guess they can get a little bit like defensive and try and, you know, defend their role. And I guess the way I look at it, like, I would kind of want a patient like that because wouldn't that patient be like so wonderful to work with or so willing to change and, you know, so willing to like work with you. And yeah, I think that that's the difference. A lot of times that's the difference with in like in the functional world, for example, when you go see a functional doctor or a functional nutritionist, that word functional means something. And what Mm -hmm. it means, I'm going to sit with you and take time with you learning your history. And then we're going to work on this as a team together. And it's going to be a process. It's not going to be you come in, you get 15 minutes with me, and I'm going to prescribe you a pill and send you on your, you know, about your merry way. It's like, it's a process. It's, It's a investigative process. So for me as a practitioner, I love when I have somebody come in and they're like, here are my labs. Here's what has done been done so far. Here's what I think might be going on. Like they want my perspective. There is that element of, like you said, like even I experienced this of like that defensiveness that can come up as a practitioner when somebody does not appear to be open to your recommendations or opinions mm-hmm. that, you know, can be a little confusing because you're like, well, why are, why are you here if you just want to argue with me? Um, right. But but at the same time, I also understand the patient's perspective because I've been in those shoes. And, you know, sometimes when you're hearing the same thing over and over again, or when um, you're not getting answers that really kind of sit well with you, you sort of feel like, you're just like on your own, you're fighting this war and there's nobody on your side. Going in with optimism, trying to like find a doctor who wanted to work with me as a teammate and not getting that experience. And so it was really kind of depressing and alienating. Mm -hmm. And I think as young women, we're often just told to, we're, we're almost treated as if our like our health conditions don't matter unless they involve pregnancy of some kind or if they're like some of the typical health things like you would think about like diabetes or something but like autoimmunity is so much more subtle and it tends to happen more in like you know your 40s 50s and so um and cancer too you know cancer is not something that often happens to young people although it's happening more and more Mm -hmm. um you know, you wonder, like, I don't know if you ever wonder this, but I'm like, wow, if I hadn't advocated for myself, like, where would I be with my cancer right now? Like, oh, would, I absolutely. would I be alive today? You know? Yeah. Um, I guess if there's any advice that I could give is, first of all, if you haven't explored the functional medicine, functional nutrition side of things, I would recommend exploring that. I'm not saying that that's the answer for everybody, but if you feel like you keep hitting a brick wall with your conventional doctors and you want more answers and you want something to try, um, that's what like functional nutrition is great for. They can help you find other practitioners to sort of team up with and, um, and they can help you just process your thoughts. The best kinds of patients are the kinds who who care enough about themselves to do research Mm 
Right. And to, you know, you have to have this balance between research and openness. You're going to listen to them, but yet you're also going to, you're also going to pay attention to the stuff on your own, do your own research. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't know why we, we have like this idea that that's bad. Yeah, I don't, I don't really get it either. And I do think that, you know, like with a lot of the work that we've done, it's challenged a lot of things for me. So habits and, you know, things that one could argue may have led me to autoimmunity in the first place. Um, you know, whether it's because I have a genetic predisposition or, you know, environmental things, probably a combination. Right. Um, you know, but a lot of those changes have been tough to make. So, you know what, you've kind of challenged me to make those changes. And I've also kind of come prepared with some research knowing I've had to make those changes too. Right. You were, I mean, you, nobody, nobody comes to a functional nutritionist, at least not with your health history and doesn't know anything about like what they might need to do. Like most people are kind of aware, especially with autoimmunity, like, okay, that food may be playing a role in this. Like there may be some food sensitivities, like there's strong kind of evidence for food sensitivity playing a role in autoimmune flare-ups, right? Like there's been some good research on rheumatoid arthritis and that Hashimoto's mm -hmm. and that. So, so that stuff's out there. Um, and the, even the conventional medical world is sort of changing. And I see a lot of conventional doctors referring patients to me for that kind of work because they've seen it. One thing that that we were talking about earlier is type A personalities <laughs> yes. and, um, and autoimmunity. So there's definitely this element of like, where, where does autoimmunity come from? Where's the genesis of it? Mm -hmm. because there's definitely a food component and you don't get into working with a nutritionist without really knowing that you're going to be addressing food. Um, but at the same time, there's so much more to it. Like why do some people end up getting autoimmune conditions and others don't, and they eat the exact same way, you right. know? Right. So yeah. what I have noticed, and you and I were talking about this is that a lot of, the people, first of all, it's primarily women who have autoimmune conditions. Right. And a lot of these women, and so by and large, these women tend to be like type A personalities. Um, so I don't know what that's about. Like there's a control factor there for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that need to have control over one's life, I think, one's experiences sort of contributes to a certain amount of anxiety, I think, and a mm -hmm. certain amount of underlying stress that may exacerbate a predisposition towards autoimmunity, I think. Because, right. you know, like my jar theory. Yes, I the jar theory. Yes, the jar theory. If you have, there's a podcast on that. If you're interested in what I'm talking about with that, but um, it's the idea that your body's like a jar that can fill up with stress, and once it spills over, you you get a flare of of your autoimmune issue or whatever. But um, some people are born with that predisposition, so they have a smaller jar. Um, but if you also have this sort of like tight clenched personality. Um, 
you're more likely, I think, to stress out over these things, which can make the problem worse or show up younger. Or maybe it's not that. Maybe it's that people with type A personalities tend to advocate for themselves better. And so they get diagnosed younger. Right. Right. It's it's hard to say. And it's it's tricky because it's like, I think at least for me, looking back, I would never have made the changes that I have made when I was at like the most hectic, crazy time, probably the peak in my like Hashimoto's like attack on my thyroid. I, I would have like, if you had told me like, oh, Carrie, you have to make these huge diet changes and you have to like adjust your stress levels and like start sleeping more. I would have like laughed at you as I was running to my third job and like, <laughs> you know, doing a research project and like yeah. seeing patients and sleeping two hours a night. Right. You know, so as much as like it, it didn't help my health, it like contributed, you know, to the person I am today. And it kind of got me to the point, you know, that I am. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's it's so hard to know kind of where it starts and what contributes. And right, I don't think that there's any right or wrong answers with that. I think yeah. that it's just a it's just overlaps in so many ways. I mean, I'm type A myself, so I'm an achiever. Always have been. So I know I wouldn't be where I am in my career today if right. it weren't for the fact that I were that type of person. Yes. Um, then on the other hand, you know, like that type A personality has also caused me a lot of issues. Like I do think it's contributed negatively to my health because I live with a level of stress and anxiety that I think that has always been higher than other, than the people around me mm-hmm. you know, because I'm so hell bent on like getting things done and, and, right. and all that. And, and like you said, I mean, there's a, there's an element of like time and maturity, I think, with this, where sometimes women who are more like us, we do a lot in our early 20s and maybe don't take the best care of ourselves. We're not like out partying and like having fun with our friends all the time. Like we're, you know, maybe we're doing some of that, but we're we're doing stuff like we're yes. getting places. And um, so there's that element of like, with time and with maturity, maybe we have a chance to kind of step back and look around and say, wow, like, where did I end up here? Like, Mm -hmm. I've gone so far in this direction, but I've also really messed up a lot of things. I mean, I see a lot of women like that with, with these sort of adrenal type issues, which then play into hormonal imbalances. Um, and, um, and for some women, that also looks like autoimmunity, too. So there's kind of like two directions that it goes. But a lot of times, yeah. it's the same kind of person. So it's it's interesting. Um, but I don't think there's any, like, blame to be had. I think what it is is eventually everybody comes around to this sort of moment where they're like, okay, I realized that I haven't been treating myself well. And now I'm ready yes. to change that. So you have to be ready for that. You, right. you like, do. Yeah. Do in many ways. You being ready for that. Like, what do you think was the catalyst for that moment for you? Hmm. So I think so I- that as I'm kind of finishing up grad school and mm-hmm. it's been like a very long road. Um, and I, you know, last year started like my first job kind of as a psychologist. So my first real job, 
Um, and I had to really scale down my responsibilities a lot just because of my health issues. So I was just working one full-time job. Um, just the one. Just one full-time job. And, <laughs> While in school, right? Yes. And then COVID happened. So I was home. My commute's pretty long to work. So I wasn't commuting. I had more time on my hands. Um, and I really was like home and I was working from home and then I was otherwise relaxing, but I felt like so terrible. Like I was dealing with such joint pain and, you know, I had this like time to sit around and watch TV, but I was just like not feeling great. Um, so it was definitely just having extra time and, and just, I feel like, when I'm so busy, I'm not taking a moment to really evaluate how I'm really feeling. And when I yeah. finally stop, I'm like, oh my goodness, like this is what's been happening. Like <laughs> that's exactly what I was going to say. I think, and I have seen that with a lot of clients that they come to me during a time of like almost like rest in their life. So I've been seeing a lot of people during, during uh, COVID because like, especially in the early parts of COVID, the quarantine part of it, um, and there's sort of this element of like, especially if the if this if stress is playing a role in this, which it almost always is. Um, if you're in the middle of the stress and you're like going 100 miles an hour and doing all these different things, your body is producing so much um, adrenaline mm -hmm. and cortisol. And those hormones keep their uppers, like they keep you like awake, they keep you focused, like they help you keep going, they're survival hormones. Right. You know? And then when you have a minute to rest and sit and think, um, if you let yourself do that, which some people have trouble with that, I do. Um, but if you let yourself do that, all of a sudden your body starts like really talking to you. And it's like, hey, you've been ignoring me. Yes. Look at all this stuff that's been happening while you've been ignoring me. So that's the usually the catalyst for like, okay, let's make some changes here. So let's talk a little bit about the changes that you've made, right? Because I think we've sure. been talking about, about the fact that you've made these changes, but people are probably wondering, well, what has she done? So tell me about that. Tell me what the most difficult part of that has been. So in the beginning, the diet was difficult. Um, I was a vegetarian for 10 years and kind of before I started to work with you, I'd started to like reintroduce like chicken and kind of eat more protein, but I was still very like carb heavy. Um, and I love pizza and pasta. Like, oh my goodness, like, oh my gosh, could eat like carbs for every meal of the day. Um, and at one point I was, and so that was difficult. Like my family, my mom's Italian. She makes like awesome food and kind of like not being able to participate in some of those things I think was hard. It's almost more of like the emotional aspect of the food. Mm -hmm. um, so once I kind of got past that, and I think a big part of that was like getting rid of some of that inflammation that I had been holding on to and realizing how great I could feel just by removing these foods that now I'm at a point where, you know, we're, we're talking about reintroducing foods and kind of what that process will look like. 
but I feel so great. And I'm like amazed at how awesome I feel. Um, and I almost like forget what it was like to feel like this. Yeah. But kind of like bringing up your jar theory that you mentioned. The jar theory. I think that I, for a long time, thought that I had to make these like changes to like external things in my life. So work less hours. At one point, I was like, oh my goodness, I've, you know, chosen this career path. I've put all this time into getting a doctorate and I've always wanted to be a psychologist. Is this, you know, the right path for me? And now that I feel like I've been able to get rid of that like level of physical inflammation, I'm able to cope with things like stressors in my life, you know, stressors that like are just part of life. Um, you know, my dad's had a lot of health issues over the years, um, just different things kind of going on with my family or just like in the world, you know, the 2020 kind of like crazy year that we've had. Um, I feel like I'm able to approach things in a much more balanced way because I'm not dealing with this like chronic stress physically. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like sometimes, sometimes the job is part of the issue. Like, yeah, you know, sometimes people, sometimes people do have to quit their job, but that kind of advice to like quit your job is so it's just annoying to me. I know I talked about this on the podcast about jar theory, but like, I feel like that's really unhelpful advice to go to somebody like, especially like, you know, you, you've worked your whole life for this. Like you're in the middle of a PhD program. Like, you know, for me to tell you like, Oh no, you need to quit so that you can like time and heal is like, number one, uh, how am I going to like survive? I need money. And something that's important to me. It's something I've worked for. I mean, I did, I did actually quit a job because of my physical health. And I felt like I needed to do that. But I was also at a, at a point in time where I was ready to do something different. Like I wasn't aligned with my path. So sometimes the job like does need to go. But I also think that if the job is important to you, that there are ways to work around that stress yes. and to, you know, that, that there's stresses that are priorities and there's stresses that aren't priorities. Right. And we can't do anything about the priorities. Like my son is a stress, but I'm not going to like get rid of my son. Right, yeah. Cause he's a huge priority. Right. He's a huge priority <laughs> and a little sweetie face. So, um, so yeah, I just feel like that's really unhelpful advice, but people just really underestimate what diet can do. No, seriously. And especially with, like, I find for me, just with what I do for a living, I've always kind of like found myself working with people that, you know, are going through very difficult things emotionally and kind of working with their emotions and, you know, kind of coping with that and things you might take on. And I find that I'm better able to kind of like, I guess, put boundaries up or like distance myself a little bit, like as a clinician, um, if I'm feeling better physically, like I can Mm -hmm. kind of be more present to step away from the situation and kind of like evaluate my position there. Mm -hmm. So that's been important because 
I'm, I can't leave my job um, and I'm not planning to leave my job, but I can change how I approach my job. Yes. That clarity, especially when you work with, with uh, in a clinical, clinical setting is so important. Yes. Like I, I can't tell you how difficult it is. I mean, you know how difficult it is when you're not feeling good to be on your game as a practitioner. Like, mm-hmm you have to have a memory for things. You have to like remember details about people and be able to like focus on your notes and all the things that you have to do as a clinician. If you don't feel good, it makes it very, very difficult to do that stuff. It makes it really easy to just sort of phone it in, but people know when you're phoning it in, you know, it's like, yes, you can't fake like your real true, interest in that person and their life. Um, Let me ask you this, um, going back to advocating for yourself as a young woman with a health condition, what would be your advice? Like if somebody's listening to this right now and they're 24 and they know that something's wrong with their thyroid or they know that something's wrong with them, what's your advice to them? What do you think, how do you think they get the care that they need? So I think that we know our bodies and kind of like what you said, like I do really believe in gut feelings. Like I knew something was not right and I just could not settle for, you know, doctors kind of throwing around diagnoses like, oh, maybe you have PCOS, but you've never, you know, really looked like you did. Maybe it's this, maybe it's that. Um, so I think just really trusting yourself and, and trusting your body and your experience. Um, and I also think that you can fire a doctor. Like you can, I've walked out of appointments. I have, you know, I've, I've never been rude. Um, I, but I have been very direct and I've had a couple endocrinologists that have like given me in, correct interpretations of blood work and, you know, not gotten back to me, you know, when I had concerns. And I, I think that, you know, if you're not feeling comfortable and listened to, like you need to find a new doctor and that's okay. Yeah. Um, and, and it's okay to, it's okay to speak up for yourself. You do not need to feel like you're hurting someone's feelings or mm-hmm gonna like you or whatever I can guarantee you that a doctor sees you know they see many many patients in a day more than likely they're not gonna remember your conversation five minutes after you have it so you've got them 15 minutes get your answers you know like stand up for yourself I was always so worried about um, and it's just a natural part of my personality to worry about whether people like me or not. Yes, you know? me too. Me too. And so I would hate to go to these doctor's offices and I would feel like, you know, they would say something and I was like, no, like that, that's not consistent with my history or they're forgetting this part or what. And I wouldn't want to say anything because I wouldn't want to correct them and make them feel bad or, you know, and then I'd leave that appointment feeling like I didn't get any answers and I'd like, here, I'm out more money. And, and, um, so, you know, you are the best historian of your life. Yes. 
if you find a good doctor, they will appreciate that you're a good historian. I remember, I remember very specifically when I finally found the doctor who did finally diagnose me with cancer. And one of her first things she said to me was, she said, you're a really good historian. Um, and she was talking about my recall of my own health, health issues. She liked that about me because she didn't have to look at my chart. She could just ask me and I would tell her dates and years and all that. And um, that's helpful for them because I can tell you one thing. And, you know, as a practitioner, I understand this, but like, we don't always look at our notes. Okay. Sometimes we're in a hurry. Sometimes right. we're late from the patient before you hear them. If you're sitting in like your OB's office, you can hear them pick up that folder outside of your room and open yes, it. That's so yes, true. You hear yeah. how long, you know, they're they're skimming it for like 10 seconds and then coming in. Like they're not sitting there doing an exhaustive recall of your entire health history and all your challenges and your labs and all that. They're not doing that. Right. Um, so you have to do that. Um, and that's true for anything. That's true for doctors. I would say that's even true for, for any practitioner that you're working with. Like you are responsible for keeping track of your own health history because you're the only one who's lived it. So while your practitioner should ideally remember things about you and keep good notes and refer to those notes, you can't rely on the fact that they're going to do that. You just can't don't, like, don't leave it up to somebody else. Make sure that you speak up for yourself. So that's one thing that I did want to touch on is our idea, this God complex that we have about doctors. Um, as a society, we treat doctors as if they are these like omnipresent godlike figures who are all powerful and all knowledgeable and not to be argued with and not to be corrected. Um, and not to be questioned. Mm -hmm. And that's really, like, they're just people like you and I are people. And if you're a smart, intelligent woman in, uh, you know, who, who has an education in many ways, you are just as smart, if not smarter than some of the doctors that you're going to meet. It's just true. Um, so don't be afraid of that. Don't feel like you can't use that intelligence. Like, we're over here, you know, you're working on a PhD. I have a master's degree. And yet I still get intimidated by like going to my OB. Like, you know, it's like, it's silliness. Yeah. I'm yeah. smart as her. Yeah. So. I know I, I, I can't, yeah, I can't speak enough about advocating and just trusting your gut and just, yeah. you know, not settling and just when something doesn't feel right, oftentimes it's not right. And if you feel like, you know, like, especially with thyroid, if you feel like something's wrong, but your blood work is coming out and it's quote unquote normal, ask for more extensive blood work. Yes. Everybody gets a TSH done, right? And TSH does not tell you everything. No. There's a full panel of blood work that you can request your T3, your T4, um, you know, your antibodies, all that stuff. You need to see the whole picture. Will you have to pay out of pocket for it? Probably. Yeah. Your insurance probably won't think it's necessary. But 
your doctor can request those labs for you and you can request that they request them, you know, and if they won't, like you said, like Carrie said, you can fire a doctor. Absolutely. You don't yes. have to yeah. stay with somebody. So, all right. Well, any other things you want to add, Carrie? This is a good conversation. Um, I mean, I, there's a whole other piece too of like the healing, not only like with the diet piece, but also like mental, emotional things that I think is a whole nother component of autoimmunity. Like you and I have talked about like the spiritual aspects of health that I don't think we've kind of like as a society or the world hasn't quite started to understand. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, there's been a lot of things that have happened for me as I've kind of been going through this process and, you know, I've let go of a relationship that I knew at my core wasn't right, but I kind of could never see that with the cloudiness from the diet. Um, and I think that moving past that has kind of like allowed me to be more open to making other changes in my life. And, you know, I think that that's kind of all part of the healing process. Um, I mean, you know, you and I will have these conversations about things other than just the mental, I mean, than the medical and physical, you know, aspects and more about mental and emotional things. But I think it's, you know, all together, you kind of have to really be able to step back and like evaluate your life. And, you know, on a daily basis, what kind of choices are you making? Who are you interacting with? You know, who are you talking to daily that might be just draining your energy? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, we, we could have a whole separate podcast about Yeah, this. we really could. <laughs> um, <laughs> Maybe we will. Yes. But, you know, I think that, I don't know, it's, it's, I think things happen for a reason. And I, you know, we found each other at a very specific time and it helped me make a lot of changes in my life. Um and hopefully kind of open myself up to, you know, positive things that are coming. But I do think that, you know, a lot of women will come across as being very put together. And I've often had people tell me, like, you you look so great. Like, you, you don't look sick. Because, you know, I will always look put together, whatever that really means. Um you know, and I will be the first person at work in the morning and the last one to leave at night and will be the person who everyone thinks can handle, you know, everything and do anything um, and like look fine. So I think too, like understanding that you don't always have to be that way and kind of having that vulnerability of being human and like admitting you don't have it all together and like admitting like, yeah, I, I feel pretty crappy today. Like, I really don't feel great. And this is why, like, these are the health issues I deal with and I look great, but I'm not feeling great. Um, I think that's something that's taken me a lot of time to kind of accept. Oh, that's been, that's been huge for me. I mean, there's a couple things I want to touch on. Um, but specifically to that, you know, especially as a, person who works in health, like as a wellness practitioner, it, 
was, it has been very hard. Like this year was a very hard year for me facing a lot of things. Um, because before this year, I had this very neat and tidy sort of success story, right? Where um, if I didn't want to, I could talk about my life or if I, if I didn't want somebody to know everything that I got through, I could talk about my life in a way that sounds very, um, you know, like I've got it all figured out. Mm -hmm. Okay, I was diagnosed with cancer in my mid twenties and you know, then I've been fine since then. Everything's great because I learned about nutrition and, you know, I started this, this practice to kind of help people like me. And, and then I managed to get pregnant and have my son and, and um, I wasn't allowed to try naturally. So I had to go through IVF and, you know, there's ways to explain it away. So it sounds like I, have it all together and I know exactly what I'm doing. And I quote unquote healed myself. Um, but that is not who I am at my core. Right. I'm a person who really values authenticity and honesty. And that's not the real experience that I went through. Um, and this year was very um, powerful for me of just having to like much more visibly confront that, like much more publicly confront that, I guess. Because before it was like a conversation that I'd have my, with my clients and they knew, um, but it wasn't something that I was like blasting out on the internet. Um, and then this year I got read you know, I had a recurrence of, can of cancer. Yes. You know, yeah. I'm a functional nutritionist. I'm not perfect by any means with what I eat. Like, you know, I don't sit around following like every little thing that I tell people to do all the time. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not perfect. I'm a real person. Right. You're um, human. Yeah. Yeah, but I, you know, I, I do take care of myself. Um, and so, you know, for me to have that cancer come back up, that was really hard for me because I realized like I could either, I could either lie and just pretend that it didn't happen and, and keep this kind of nice story that other people sort of, I let them fill in the blanks on, right. I didn't like always correct them. Um, or I could be honest and tell the truth. And the truth is that health is messy and healing is messy and it's not linear. And especially with cancer, um, if you have cancer once, you know, you're like prone to getting cancer and whether you take yes. care of yourself or not, you might, it might come back, you know? Um, so that was, that's hard though. That's hard to do when you're the type of person, like you said, who tries to have it all together and that people look up to and people have always looked at me as like this sort of leader. And, um, you know, I get the same comments like, well, you look great. You know, like you're not like, you're not sick or you're fine or you don't have PCOS or you don't have this or that. Cause you look great. You know, just because you look great doesn't mean you feel great and doesn't mean that there's not things going on under the surface. Right. So very, very um, that, you know, that authenticity and honesty, I think, is really important part of the healing process. We have to really be honest with ourselves, like you said, about who are we spending our time with? Where are we not? Where are we not taking care of ourselves, not just physically, but emotionally, mentally, spiritually? Like, where are we lying to ourselves? Because yeah. people do that. Like we do that without even realizing it. We lie to ourselves all the time, um, especially when it comes to food. What are we eating? 
where are we holding ourselves back? So that's super important. But the cool thing, like you said, and I wanted to touch on this, is that nutrition is the simple thing that can be this huge catalyst for growth and change for a person. Yeah. Because it's yeah. like making this very, you know, you wouldn't think like eating different is that big of a deal, but like making this little change where you invest in yourself and you invest in your intuition and your like, you know, you got yourself to this place to work with this nutritionist and you're going to invest in these changes. Like somehow that just is like a domino effect for the rest of your life. Cause suddenly you start thinking, well, I was right about this. So maybe my gut is right about this person that I'm with or like this job that I have or whatever it may be. And it's just the dominoes start to start falling. And my favorite thing about being a nutritionist is being is representing that catalyst for people. The real <laughs> catalyst is the work that you've done. But I'm sort of like the figurehead of it. And so and I like we've been talking for an hour. Recording is on. I love being the representation of that change and growth for people. Yes. I don't think it's so fun and so cool. Like it's my favorite thing is just to like be, just observe and watch you change because like I, I get to, I get this cool outside perspective of like seeing you when you first get started with me and how like bad you feel and how confused you are and all this. And I see you over the months, like gain this sort of like clarity and confidence in yourself. And, and it's just, it's cool. Like I love watching it. So no, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. I'm like the, you know, I don't know. I just, I love representing that transformation for people and being like helping be the catalyst for that. Super cool. No, oh, that is awesome. It's a privilege, right? Yeah. It's a huge privilege. Yeah. So um, anyway, well, <laughs> we've been talking for a long time. A long time. <laughs> Perhaps but we shall end it. Um, I might have to split this one into two parts. I don't know. Oh, my goodness. It's two podcast me. episodes. Wow. Yes. Yeah. You'll get to hear your own voice. So now you know what how oh awkward Gosh. it is for me when I listen to myself. Yes. <laughs> I hate hearing myself on tape. Me too. Um, but no. Uh, so thank you for joining me. Well, thank you for having me. Of course. It was wonderful. I may have to have you back again. We have a lot more things to talk about. I would um, love that. Yes. It, it, anybody out there, if you have questions for the podcast, um, whether they're nutrition, fertility, autoimmunity, motherhood, all the things I talk about on here, any questions, uh, send me an email at anamberadaypodcast at gmail.com. Um, and the, the, uh, that will be in the show notes as well. And don't forget to follow me on Insta and the other places, the other platforms that I'm on. <laughs> and, uh, I think that's it. So we'll close up for today. Thank you guys so much for listening and have a good day. If you learned something today or you enjoyed today's episode or both, I'd love it if you would leave me an iTunes review and share this with a friend. If this brought up a question for you that you would like to hear me answer, there is a Google form that you can use to ask me any question you want, and I might answer it here on the podcast. I do it all the time, and I would love to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.